Welcome to At The Source. Today's guest is Phoebe Ruxton, the Head of Development at Fairshare Southwest. I actually recorded this episode right back in November with my former co-host, Karis, and this is actually the last episode that you'll hear Karis on. At first, I was a little bit worried to be releasing this episode so late after we'd recorded it, but do you know what? It's actually worked out quite nicely. As part of the coronavirus and food episodes that I've been recording during this lockdown period, Phoebe appeared um, on episode three, talking specifically about how Fairshare are working to distribute even more food to even more vulnerable people as a result of the pandemic. Because of that, it feels like actually this is a really nice time to release this episode because if you've listened to it, and you've heard what they're doing during this crisis period, you can now go and listen to this episode and find out what they do during what we would, I guess, call normal times. The work that Fairshare do is really amazing and it pulls at my heartstrings for two reasons. Firstly, because they fight food waste, which as you know, I'm a bit of a warrior for. And secondly, because they're trying to beat food insecurity, which is often a hidden issue in this country. We're seemingly very well off. Um, Poverty is not as obvious as perhaps it is in other places around the world. And actually the work that Fairshare Southwest and the wider Fairshare Network does is incredibly important. Enjoy this episode. Today we're chatting with Phoebe Ruxton from Fairshare Southwest. She's the fundraising and communications manager for their Bristol depot, which collects and redistributes surplus food to schools, charities and organisations from Gloucester to Taunton and of course Bristol. As part of the National Fairshare Network, the UK's largest charity fighting hunger and food waste through the redistribution of food that would otherwise go in the bin, they contribute towards approximately £50.9 million of social economic impact each year. As usual, we've picked a huge topic to try and condense down into just 40 minutes but with Phoebe's help we're going to give it a go. Hi Phoebe thank you for having us today. Hi. (laughs) That was some uh, figures to get my mouth around. Yes no non-trivial as they would say. We didn't put this in our questions that we sent to you in advance but it's probably the key question that we start with. What's your first memory of food Phoebe? Curveball question. Um, probably picking blackberries in my garden as a child. It's very wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> and you were just sitting there with, you know, like red, purpley fingertips and berries all over your face. Probably, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like an ideal childhood. Did you eat them straight off the bushes or were you using them for jam and things like that? Oh, I think just straight off the bush, probably. Yeah. I remember having them in our garden when I was little and just cutting your fingers, but it didn't matter because you were like... (laughs) It's hard to know where to start with such a huge emotive topic. Um, So Karis and I thought it would be nice to start with your own fair share story here in, in Southwest. So can you tell us a bit about what you do and how long you've been here? So um, I've been here two years now and yeah the rest of the team has yeah we've all kind of grown as a team in in those two years from I think three people two years ago to 11 people now um so I am the fundraising and communications manager here so that's everything from uh writing bids to 
trust with a lot of money who are up for um, giving us grants for a specific project or for core funding um, to um, working on uh, campaigns, doing the website, um, getting people to look at social media stuff um, and um, yeah, also running campaigns as well. So generally trying to raise the profile of um of the charity especially locally um get people engaged um and just uh, keep ourselves sustainable as a charity really what do you think is the hardest part of your role um i think a big challenge for us as a a small charity in in bristol that is is part of this huge network of different charities um but also a charity that is um we're from quite quite a, a background charity as well like we, we don't give directly to individuals um we always give to other organizations i think those two things can sometimes be a bit of a barrier to, to getting our our voice heard so um we really want to seem local really um make it really clear that we're supporting local people in bristol and taunton and beyond while being part of this fantastic network which harnesses loads of surplus food um can you explain to our listeners how the relationship between fair share southwest and fair share on the national level works yeah um so fair share nationally are doing all of the tough work getting the the food from the big um national food manufacturers um farmers um kind of all of the yeah all the heavy lifting of getting the the, the big kind of partnerships um agreed um and facilitating the logistics of that so they've got a huge food team based in london um and they're, they're working with all the all the well-known supermarkets as the same tesco um to make sure that all of that that supermarket surplus has um comes to us and other depots um and then they're also kind of working as a as a national charity on kind of bigger like high profile campaigns so here in southwest we're an independent part of that franchise of our own uh, independent charity um we have some um say over kind of how how we work uh, uh regionally yeah kind of best serve the needs of, of the region and yeah get food out to people most in need and you're one of 21 around the country yeah 21 that's actually not that many i mean in terms of across the whole country we're talking about all the way up to scotland yeah there's yeah several in scotland northern ireland um so each one some of them are massive we're quite small actually um compared to some of them and some of them are, the fair share element is just one part of another organization that's right. doing it could be some other element of work around employability or recycling or reuse or i don't know there's mm. there's, there's so many amazing projects out there but you say that there's that many mm. and that it doesn't seem like a lot but then how many charities and organizations do you distribute food into so nationally or just in just in southwest so southwest it's um just over 250 
Wow. And that's food every week. Um, and it's, I think, the kind of common misconception. The other, the other um, thing that's often hard to communicate is people hear surplus food and they think food waste and they think wilted cabbage and, mm. um, you know, rotten tomatoes and, and stuff. So getting, communicating to people that it's really fresh food, hasn't reached supermarkets yet, it's all pre-retail, um, hasn't gone out of date, it's the same as you find on supermarket shelf. Um that that's the food that we're giving to charities and that we're not just giving them whatever we've got in stock. It's not leftovers. It's It's not leftovers. It's very strategically allocated food. So depending on their needs, we're not going to give a school breakfast club a a pallet load of steak or whatever. You know, so it's a luxury breakfast. I don't know. So, yeah, I think that's the other thing that just to kind of... um, to get the word out of the quality of the service that that we do. I think it's as you said that you're doing a lot of behind the scenes work and that possibly people may not have heard a fair share because what you're doing is you're at the very start of the charitable process within food because you're giving the food to other charitable organisations and schools and places that need it so it might be that they are the places that people are listening have heard of and not necessarily what you're doing absolutely I can see how as a as a as you know, Karis and I both work in marketing as well, which is quite similar to what you do. That's quite a tough sell as a as a communications mm. person, I can imagine. And it's and it's really important for us not to overstep the mark of what our impact is. We what we do is pretty simple. We we get food out. We do that really strategically, and we're doing that working in partnership with communities. And we're not just kind of throwing out food left, right, and centre. Um, but equally, we would never say. Um, we, you know, feed homeless people. We provide food to make meals for homeless people, but it's it's the people doing amazing work in frontline charities. So I think also, as a as a network organisation, we have a responsibility to be a platform for the two hundred and fifty charities that we support mm. and organisations because mm. it's just amazing. I mean, working here, you just get you get people walking in the door who never get any recognition you get someone running a community cafe that just volunteers their time or works insane hours um just to serve their community and that's there's just hundreds of <laughs> hundreds of people like that across the southwest that never get a mention so i yeah i'd love to kind of give those people more of a platform and that's what i like about fair share is that it's centralizing all of this resource that if it was just done bitsy bitsy here and there you're probably not making the most of it but because it's all centralized you're getting it all you're getting an understanding of what's there and then you're just distributing it appropriately so there's even less waste than what there might be if it's just the local tesco giving a couple of different charities something yeah it's that strategic element isn't it yeah absolutely so this maybe not you might not want to do this from your own role perspective maybe somebody who's out on the floor but talk us through a typical day here at the depot so typical day at the depot um in the morning we'll have well throughout the day we'll have goods in so we get the big supermarket lorries reversing into the warehouse um and we also go and collect 
surplus food locally so from big distribution depots you go in the tiny van and wait next to the big lorries <laughs> um, and um, get whatever it is a pallet of cheese or whatever it is so uh, yeah we always have food coming in and then the food going out um, on deliveries and all of that operations is um, uh, kind of upheld by our volunteers so we've got 120 active volunteers that's incredible yeah who are just yeah amazing people they give various amounts of time some people give whole um, whole weeks or like five days a week um, and others you know give what they can yeah. around a part-time job um, but they are the ones that by and large are, are driving the vans they're drivers mates in the vans um, they're picking and packing and unpacking orders um, and yeah making sure that uh, all the all the checks are done so a, yeah a typical day is just a massive flurry of activity in the warehouse um, and we're constantly adding new vans new routes to serve new communities um, at the moment so it's every day is different for those for those guys it's like every day every day is changing um, and then yeah then you'll get people collecting food if we can't if then if they can collect if they're local then, then they will so we'll get um, yeah lovely people from Bristol turning up and we give them their order and they pack it up and we'll have a chat about what they're doing and um, yeah all sorts of amazing stories come out um, and yeah I mean yeah for me every day is different because the, the volunteers that we that we have uh, they come from a huge range of backgrounds so about half of the volunteers come from the charities that we support so um, there's a lot of people from um, dry houses or rehab centres or um, who've been kind of referred on from support services in Bristol um, so yeah there's a kind of a lot of diversity here and yeah colourful team great place to be yeah and I think unless you've actually been in the warehouse or whatever we're calling it yeah warehouse um, yeah, I don't know <laughs> seems reasonable um, you know we might have a different term for it over here yeah. I don't know sometimes <laughs> but unless you're going in there and actually seeing the size of it what you just said oh you know just a bit of a going through the little corner store size thing no it's actually massive and then you walk into the freezer and or the fridge and that's the same size mm. and the the idea that there's so much out there and that that's getting distributed to more than 200 different organizations and charities is is actually mind-blowing mm. it's funny because some people if they've if they work in the food industry or have spent a lot of time in warehouses they walk in and say it's tiny <laughs> um, and some people say work in you know work in an office or something say this is huge um but i think the, the thing that people often don't know is just just how fast the food comes mm. in and out so you might see a pallet of i don't know tomatoes but it, it, it more often not might be gone the next day sometimes we get things in and out by the pallet load and a, a, a member might be able to take a whole pallet load of, of stuff um, all at once. So mm. it's some, sometimes it barely touches the floor. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's the it's the kind of the scale of it. But yes, yeah. I mean, and you're right. As somebody who does work in that industry, probably will go, oh, you know, that's nothing. Mm. But when you think about it, it, it is massive. Mm. It's it's not the same as a a Tesco warehouse where you know they're supplying thousands of massive stores across the country. It's a smaller 
non-profit organization that is this this like wheel that's just in motion constantly mm. making sure that none of this is going to waste mm. so the reason we ended up here today was because alex uh spent some time with the share fair share crew recently and she found out that in bristol alone one in four children are at risk of hunger and since coming to that event and then going to a breakfast at a school, um, she's talked about it nonstop. So we thought we would come and talk to you about it. So, yeah, so I guess it would be quite good to talk to you about the big breakfast appeal. So I was at this warehouse at what? Seven in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> eating bacon sarnies. I've completely made out there were no bacon sarnies. I had mushrooms on toast. I don't know why I said that. Um, and listening to some of the people that support Fair Share Southwest and seeing you open the new fridge. And then the following morning, I was up even earlier at a school breakfast club. And I guess what I would like to you to tell our listeners about is big breakfast appeal and why it's so important that you support schools with their breakfast clubs so um yeah so the big breakfast appeal and campaign um came about um so this time last year so this year was the second year we ran it um and it came about because we were um starting to focus a lot more intentionally on the issue of child hunger um as we grew as a charity so um in the last year and a half we've set up our um our breakfast club program and, and wider kind of no child goes hungry um agenda um to yeah to get food into basically any place that a child um in bristol or in any other part of, of the region um could go hungry any time that they could go hungry in any place that they could access food support so that's that could be the school at breakfast club it could be school at um break time after school club uh, over the holidays when there's um that school support goes away it's youth clubs and um holiday projects um at home and over the weekend it's getting food to pantries which is a kind of shop-like setup um which is really new for us but it's really transformative so um there's food for mum and dad at home as well so it's um yeah what we're what we're doing is kind of getting food into all areas where a child you know could be all of those touch points accessing um food supports it's i mean it's a huge issue it's a, a hidden issue it's a really stigmatized issue that um i know you've spoken a lot about it that um yeah it, that actually getting food into all those locations can unlock so much other support and can um yeah change things a lot so the the big breakfast campaign came around um as we we very quickly got on uh, on board a whole lot of uh, priority primary schools in the most deprived areas of Bristol. Um, we now have over 60 primary schools that we support. What is, um, the, what is the criteria there? So we've gone by um, pupil premium levels. So that's kind of, so it's free school meals, um, numbers of children with free school meals and um, a few other factors as well um, that gives an indicator of deprivation levels in a school right i think pretty much any primary school is going to have some children mm. that will fall through the gaps and there's a lot of kids that should be on preschool meals but for whatever reason aren't getting them mm. but for us that's kind of given us a 
an idea of the the priority schools and quite often it's it's quite a few of them it's over 60 percent um of children in a school which is huge and some of the schools are huge as well it's this idea of it being a hidden issue is the thing that i think is really shocking because we are very aware through the media of food poverty abroad um especially in um kind of cultures where they maybe don't have the economic strength and and government support that we have in the West. But what we don't hear a lot about on the news here, which is shocking because it's our own it's our own country is this hidden poverty in schools and the school that um, I volunteered at was in Easton here in Bristol and speaking to the lady that runs the the club she said that they will regularly this is every day have up to a hundred people mm. and that's not just the kids that attend that school it's their siblings their parents and we saw that and that is the only guarantee that they're going to get a decent breakfast and so as you said earlier as soon as it's the school holidays where does that where does that food come from and the fact that the breakfast club again at um the school that I went to, were happy and wanting to feed the whole family. It wasn't just about making sure that that pupil had a, had a meal. It was about the whole family and their, their mum and dad were there and their siblings were there and they were all eating before they went off and all started their day. And I think for me, it just, it's that hidden thing. I just found it so shocking because mm. I'm coming at this from a place privilege there's no doubt about it but to think that one in four children are starting their day hungry in our city and Bristol is one of the more affluent cities in this country so if you think that we're having that problem here then let's have a look at somewhere like Hull or Grimsby or Liverpool where there's a higher level of poverty overall it's a huge yeah it's a huge priority definitely for fair share across the network it's kind of unsurprising in many ways that it's such a hidden issue because um there's a these are incredibly vulnerable people that need protecting and but it's this i mean from from me from a comms perspective you know, there's so many stories that you, you hear like through big breakfast week so we, we had um chefs from bristol going into schools and um cooking up uh food to, to kind of make their breakfast club sparkle um which is which is really fun but um yeah kind of it's it's the stories that come out when you're talking to someone at the end of a session mm -hmm. that you would never get on camera and you'd never get written down mm. um and you might not want to stick a camera in someone's face or you know there's, there's a there's level of responsibility there obviously to, to protect the people that we're indirectly supporting so it yeah it's a huge challenge to to really show the general public who have no concept of mm. the, the kind of complications of food insecurity or nutritional poverty that it's it's such an everyday issue but you're, you're probably not going to know about it mm. um i guess a lot of that as well comes down to people's dignity because yeah. actually you don't want to be known as the woman in no. the school thomas's mum who mm. struggles to give him a hot meal every Absolutely. night and there's that balance for your role which i guess as well is a challenge is 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 promoting what you do with real stories but at the same time not embarrassing people mm. 
which must be I mean it's obviously a big challenge for a lot of different charities but it's interesting from a um, food redistribution point of view where surplus plays a role in overcoming that barrier and the stigma um, especially in our the pantry models that I mentioned earlier um, so there's up to 50 families at a time can access weekly groceries that are surplus from a warehouse they're super affordable it's a they pay a membership fee of three quid a week um, to access really high quality stuff um, that's worth 20 quid or so. So that's kind of like a food bank setup. It's kind of like a food bank but in many ways the opposite of a food bank in that it's not a it's not um it's not referred it's there's um it's it's very targeted but it's not a referral system and it's also very because of the nature surplus food everyone who's paying their three quid a, a week um are legitimately paying for their food mm. just happens to be cheaper um and that's quite an empowering thing but we've also found in quite a lot of the places that we set up pantries that it's been a the, the surplus food angle has been a, a reason to engage um, parents that might not want to accept charity. So we've had this amazing woman in, in Bath who, um, oh, just made me cry last week. <laughs> she was just saying, um, yeah, she's been talking to a few mums who, you know, other, but, you know, they absolutely don't want to take anything from other people, and it's the opposite of what people generally think. It's pe- you know, people who don't want to don't want to accept charity, don't want to take too much, who clearly need the support. Mm-hmm. And she can say to them, oh, but you know, fair should have given us too much this week, actually. Or yeah. you know, it's all going, it's, it's going to waste. It's surplus food. You're actually doing us a favour. You're doing us a favour. You're supporting. Really nice angle. You're helping tackle this environmental issue. It's you know, you're legitimate paying for it like please come and suddenly it a lot of those barriers fade away combined with having luxury items and branded items Mm. and different items that you know fancy pasta and posh meat that you wouldn't normally buy Mm. which is often quite a risk to 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 buy something outside of the budget that the kids might not want to eat so i i find it just amazing what surplus can do and it's such a far cry from the yeah the wilted lettuce angle (laughs) that people often think of us as why why do you think there is that and i guess this is like a good opportunity for a bit of myth busting Mm. why do you think there is that perception i mean to be honest i i think probably a few years ago i would have that might have been that might have been a similar thing on my mind that it's almost anyone that comes to visit the warehouse if they don't know about what we do before they'll say um yeah they'll they'll ask they'll they'll be surprised that it's in date and then they'll ask why is it going to waste so i think i think i did that yeah. about 25 yeah. minutes ago <laughs> and, I, and I think I think actually just it boils down to the general public of course aren't privy to how the food industry works so of course you're not aware of food surplus that happens before the supermarket you just you wouldn't think about it no if you want burgers one sunny morning um, and decide to go to uh, the supermarket to get some barbecue items you just expect them to be there but if it's pouring with rain then no one's going to want barbecue items but of course the supermarket has planned 
for that possibility and I think also there's kind of an expectation of everything being automated and some systems working yeah. out there's a lot yeah. of human error that's just oh absolutely you know people add on zeros all the time and you can't estimate what trends are going to change what what ads are going to make pepper army sales go through the roof or <laughs> you know whatever it is there's people it's in a way it makes a lot of sense as as a lot of um a lot of room for error in an industry where the um, the product is has a very short shelf life. It's not mm. like it's mm. aluminium sales or something, mm. um, but also it's this vast section of industry that, of course, doesn't have any. Uh, there's no kind of visibility to the public of exactly. You know, you, in, in a food advert, you'll see like a farmer in his field, mm. and you're like, yeah, probably just comes straight from the field and turns into bread. And there's a million processes in between that mm. that could that all are time limited and could go wrong. So I think it's that that people don't, of course, understand the surplus food issue and how it works, and therefore, fair share has its own challenge in explaining that. Also, the idea of food waste. So you're tackling hunger and preventing food waste because the other perception I believe a lot of people probably have including myself up until a few months ago when I started looking into this is that food waste is about using up the bits that are going off again but but that food pre-fair share and organisations like this would have ended up in the bin Mm. even though it was in date Mm. and that's a travesty Mm. and I think we so far with you today we've really talked about the food poverty and the hunger which is incredibly important but you are also doing this huge additional environmental service stopping all of this food going straight into the bin which is bonkers Mm. but even just wonky carrots that's a thing now Mm. five years ago wonky carrots were just going in the bin that's Mm. that's horrific in so many ways oh don't get me started on food waste because we will be here until midnight (laughs) okay we don't have that much time so (laughs) that's fine Earlier this year, we were actually up in Leicester talking to Perfectly Edible, and they're a small organisation that they, they run a pay-as-you-feel community cafe and a market stall, and they're one of the organisations that Fair Share, not necessarily Southwest, obviously, they actually provide the, the supplies for that. So what are the other kinds of organisations that you're supplying that we might not actually think of? So we've got breakfast clubs and we've got, as you said, there was some... Um, housing drug houses and Mm -hmm. things like that what other types of organizations are you so our our eligibility criteria are fairly broad if it's a not-for-profit organization that supports vulnerable people in some way um and is going to be food safe for the food passes off our kitchen checks and stuff um then we would love to support them so um that opens the doors to a whole massive range of different charities um some of them are some of them are um come to us and it's they, they ask about getting food and then some of them like the breakfast clubs where we're going out and strategically kind of recruiting um so everything from um so yeah homeless charities elderly people's lunch clubs is a is a really common okay. one so tackling loneliness That's really nice. bringing people together community cafes um like the one that fair and uh fair Share East midlands um give to um they're just amazing resources in a community and um, mm. just bring people together. We've got someone called Michelle who runs um, a cafe up in, in Bristol that 
and yeah, she says she always gives every single person a hug when they come in, oh, <laughs> and then will just direct really them nice. straight to the food. And people come out for the food where they might not for other things. So, yeah, community cafes. Um, we've got things like we've got uh, chari- like disability charities working. There's all sorts of disabilities that um, where just having food as a central part might be uh, where you, where you have other support services. Um, having the food to bring everyone together really mm-hmm. kind of creates that community we give to uh, care homes that are charities as well um, Alzheimer's supports charities um, everything, what else? everything really. I mean literally everything <laughs> now usually we would say how can we or how can people support fair share that isn't quite as straightforward I sort of get the impression as it would be a small charity. But if you, if somebody was listening and they said, oh, I'd really like to help with that, what are some of the ways they can get involved? Um, I mean, in many ways, we are we are we are fairly simple, <laughs> but we, um, yeah, complicated simple solution. But um, um, kind of all the all the traditional uh, ways of supporting a charity are still really vital for us. So, um, in especially in the last years, we've grown. We yeah, we've especially been asking for support from the community in donation form. So, um, do, if you're in the southwest, donating to Fair Share Southwest. Um, as opposed to the national charity really helps our, our local uh, work um, so yeah for Big Breakfast we're encouraging people to become monthly donors and um, we've just started to kind of get our first few monthly donors um, but um, aside from that um, getting involved by volunteering so um, getting in touch and becoming a volunteer driver we actually really need volunteer drivers at the moment um, so we need 10 more by um, the end of March um, okay so yeah what we can do coming and driving for us um coming and picking and packing in, in the warehouse um helping spread the word like you guys are doing today is just a huge thing for us we kind of barely known um a few years ago and just having people knowing who we are mm-hmm. is just so so valuable and knowing what we really do is is great as well um if you work for a food company or know anyone who does then encourage them to give their in-date quality surplus to us as well um yeah really trying to get more surplus food in we can list all of this on the website as well Mm -hmm. so people can go and have a look and obviously link through to fair share southwest and have a good look and i would suggest following you guys on social media because Mm. great you're doing a great job i feel like the stuff that you're doing in your role is creative and different and some of the campaigns that you've run have been really interesting and you have loads of great warming pictures I think <laughs> is the is the right word. We are probably as always almost out of time. Is there anything that you want us to ask? Is there anything like really um, important that we've missed that might be useful? I was just wondering what your first food memories are but <laughs> um, no one's asked us. Oh yeah that is the first time someone's asked yeah. us. <laughs> I've just remembered mushing a lemon tart into my brother's face. I should have said that. <laughs> That's a waste of lemon tart. <laughs> yeah. That quality so waste from an early age. <laughs> uh, my, actually, my first memory of food uh, 
I was with my dad. This is when my family were living in New Zealand. And we were at Victoria Park, uh, Patonk um, section of the park. I don't know if that's still there um, in Fair Auckland. Yeah, Bulls, yeah, um, Bulls, I guess. Um, and Bulls. I was about I was about six, and I was helping cook barbecue with oh. um, mergays, which are, I guess, North African like spiced sausages. Yes, um, oh, that's my first food memory. That's a good one. I think my first food memory is eggy bread, <laughs> very Midlands. Um, my mum was a nurse, so she was always working night shifts and weekends and all sorts. And my dad used to make eggy bread and he made it for me actually a few weeks ago and it was just Aww. as good big bowl of eggs and dried herbs and salt and pepper and then like dried herbs yeah I know I must put cinnamon and sugar yeah no, it's savory. bread is savoury it's a sweet thing and then um, he'd like dunk it with his giant hands <laughs> Oh, that sounds amazing. And then we have it, like, with... Well, a few weeks ago, he did it with a fry-up. Just, you know, get those extra calories in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. Saturate. Yeah, (laughs) savoury all the way. But I've got a massive savoury tooth, so... Thank you so much for having us, Phoebe. It's been brilliant looking around the depot and talking to you about Fair Share and Fair Share Southwest. If you enjoyed this episode, take a look at the show notes and you can find out more and click on links and help out Fair Share Southwest if you can. Make sure you jump on whichever podcast platform you use and provide some feedback so more people can find the podcast and the brilliant stories that we've been sharing. We're also on Instagram and Twitter. Twitter. That's the one. And you can see our backlog at at thesource.com. Until next time. Over and out. (laughs)